our children have a little, like call it a vessel, like they're little selves, they're beautiful little selves. I'll call it a vessel if I may. And there's a, there's a tap, a faucet that's turned on and it's, and that's life that's coming into this vessel and the water is pouring in and that's going to school or play dates or sporting clubs or whatever it is. All those things are coming in. Yeah, it's good stuff, but it's too much good stuff. And now it's spilling over the outside of their vessel. That spillage is, is behavior. That spillage is anxiety. It's fear. We've got a decision to make. Do, do we spend our lives mopping up difficult behavior or do we turn down the tap? Hello, Blissful Parents, Michelle Abraham, your host here today. You guys, I am bringing you an amazing expert today. I'm really excited about this show. I've been binge listening to his podcast. I want to introduce you to Kim John Payne. Hi, Kim. How are you doing today? Hi, Michelle. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. I'm very excited to introduce you to our parents at Blissful Parenting. And I'm going to tell them a little bit more about you. You have been, oh my gosh, your biography and your experience is so extensive. You're a consultant to so many schools across the U.S. and several countries in the world. Um, you've been on so much news media. You have written a book and you have a podcast. And I'm not doing you justice at all, but your number one best-selling book is called Simplicity Parenting which I have been binge listening. You talk about these principles in your podcast. And I would love to know just right out of the gate, so our, our parents who don't know you yet, I would love to just share a little bit about how these, how Simplicity Parenting started and what uh, what led you to where, how, where, how, where you have a number one best-selling book and are a very well-known sought-after expert in this field. Yeah, it, it actually, it's interesting, Michelle, because my, my journey into this was a little bit unusual. I was training in psychology as a young guy, and I always add really quickly, and I'm okay now. I'm fine. I've recovered. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I was living in a group home during the, um, during the evenings. I would work in, in a group home for kids who were really, really struggling, teenagers, 12-year-olds uh, through teenagers. And um, I was going to lectures uh, during the day. At the time, it was all about Vietnam vets who were coming back and not doing so well. And um, as the lecturer was speaking about combat veterans who were struggling and, the, and, and, and how they were struggling and the symptoms and so on, I was thinking, gosh, that is just like the kids in my group home. They're nervous, they're jumpy, they're hypervigilant, they're over-controlling. They have night terrors. Um, they reject anything and very um, uh, uh, reticent to do anything uh, new that's new to them. Um, and so, I, so it set me it set me on a life's course, really, because they were talking about combat veterans, and I thought, huh, well that, that that's the kids in my group home. I was literally naming them as the lecturer. I was writing down their names as the lecturer was talking about combat veterans. Then when I finished my training, uh, I went off to Southeast Asia. And at the time, Southeast Asia was uh, politically very um, kind of on fire, really. There was a lot of strife there. And I volunteered 
and traveled in various places, including, you know, I went to, I was in the Cambodian, uh, I was in the, the Thai Cambodian refugee camps and so on. And there again, I saw, you know, jumpy, nervous, hypervigilant kids over control, but you could kind of, I could kind of get my head around it because these were kids coming out of a war zone. So, okay. So they, they looked like combat veterans, but it was still a bit of a puzzle to me why the kids in my group home looked like combat veterans. So eventually I decided to study this and found a place uh, to study this in the UK. So moved to the UK and began to study it, set up a little counseling practice just west of London. And then it was hard, you know, because through the door came nervous, jumpy, hypervigilant, over-controlling kids who didn't like anything new, kids who would push back, fall back. And I thought, hmm, this is, hang on, what's going on here? Because these were kids from normal families, uh, mixed racial, mixed socioeconomic, mixed income. Not, nothing was defined, but they looked like wartime kids. Admittedly, not as intense as in the refugee camps. And I came to think of it as the undeclared war on childhood, frankly. That's, and so it set me on a, on a course, Michelle, that I thought I've got to, well, actually, to be honest with you, first of all, I just tried to deny it because it was too big a thought. It was overwhelming. Like, hang on. If these kids look like refugees, something's going on that's a bit bigger than I want to be able to kind of take on board. Um, but at the time, there was brain imaging equipment becoming available for research for, for the very first time. And um, so studies were starting to emerge that showed that that stress could be cumulative. Mm. Now, that for me was a key thought because when I looked at these kids' biographies, mm -hmm. they weren't coming from war zones. They were just, but, it, but what was happening is that it wasn't these big life-threatening events. It was, it was slightly under the radar, unrelenting stress from the modern pace of life. Too much, too soon, too sexy, too young, too much. But it had become the new normal, right? So that was the, the right away, there was the problem. It had become normal that, that kids had to be, you know, was being subjected to all this stuff. So uh, in very, uh, I was doing post-grad studies, but I didn't have enough acronyms after my name yet to discount a simple thought, I could still think simply, um, is I decided, well, if stress can be cumulative, if these kids uh, are in the undeclared war on childhood, they're being overwhelmed, their nervous systems just can't cope. Well, what about we try to unstress? What about we try to dial the life back for them? And we did. And they got better. And it was, it was almost scary how quickly they got better, you know. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that 
you know, that there's not such things as ADHD, you know, ODD, OCD, PDD. There's no shortage of Ds. There's <laughs> Ds available. Right. But what we found, and this is just in a nutshell, mm-hmm. what we found, if I could just put it this way, all kids are quirky. All kids have got their quirks. It makes them so lovable and so kind of infuriating. You know, they've all got their little quirks. But if you, if life is moving too fast, if the nervous system starts to really crank up, that little quirk will become problematic and then even a disorder. So the busy child starts to become agitated, but that agitated child, if life's moving too fast, too soon, too sexy, all this stuff going on, then that's your typical so-called ADHD. But if you start dialing life back, and we did we did more um, academic, empirically, you know, controlled studies. If you start dialing life back, they just come back to being quirky again. So many parents said over the years, Michelle, I, I feel like I've got my little girl back. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've got my child back. But if you keep simplifying, keep um, unstressing, mm-hmm. then it's not just the quirk you get back. Now you're starting to get the child's gift shining through. So that child with so-called ADHD or OCD or ODD, they've all got gifts. Of course they've got gifts. We know that as parents, they've got wonderful gifts. Only the gifts were being deluged under the toxic, fast-paced, new normal lifestyle that is just not okay and it's not child-friendly in any way. And when we started dialing life back in the parents, then the child who was so-called ADHD, mm-hmm. they just became the movers and shakers because now they can say their stuff strongly, but they're saying it at the right time, in the right way, at the right volume to the right <laughs> person. The so-called ADD kid or, or inattentive, their, their gift is that they can dream things and invent things. Whereas before, when life was overwhelming them, they were just checking on out. Well, well, why not check out? Because it's hostile. The, the, the child who is um, OCD, you know, like getting into compulsive loops, well, their gift is that they notice patterns and they notice social, emotional patterns. If someone's sad, they can move in and they can move in now because their brain is telling them, you don't have to be in amygdala hijack anymore. You don't have to be in fight or flight anymore. You can be available for others. You don't have to just be in survival mode. And now the very same kid who was looping around with, with looping behavior now goes out onto the playground and they're playing Foursquare. And they notice that one little girl, one of their friends, one little child is unhappy and sitting on a wall who normally plays. And go across, say, you you're okay? Right, because she's now got the life space to know that, that little girl normally joins in and plays. And, huh, I wonder what... Wow. And these same children become very, very dear. The same kids who, who months earlier were in an OCD looping behaviour. And this is what I've discovered over the years, because we've got over, I think it's over 1,200 Simplicity Parenting coaches around the world now. Wow. We have this very simple little training 
Well, it'd be ironic if it was complicated. <laughs> yeah, it would be. <laughs> but this simple little training. So the feedback we get from like the, the, the Simplicity Parenting book is, I think it's 30, 30 different, 30 plus different translations, right? So it's available in lots of different languages, lots of different coaches. But the reason I say that is we get lots of feedback from all, all kinds of different countries, cultures, and the the feedback has certain pat- patterns to it. But this pattern of the child's gift starting to be uncovered when life is simple. And it's almost embarrassing to say this, Michelle, but when a child has a childhood, mm-hmm. just really that yeah. simple. When we give our children childhood and we really question this, this supersized family life, that is all across the world one pattern of feedback we we get now that's a long answer to a question but it's your fault because it was a really good (laughs) it was a really really good answer i so appreciate you taking us on that journey with you because there's so many uh there's so many amazing things that i I wanted to read the the book that you the number one best-selling book that you did was simplicity parenting using extraordinary power to uh of less to raise calmer happier more secure kids and I just wanted to share that with our audience. It was the full name of your, your one of your one of your many books. Um, but I just love the concept of this. And and if I can ask you, you know, we the slowing down, being more simple, having more of a childhood. I feel like us as parents sometimes don't know how to do that. <laughs> what would be the first thing if you you're feeling like this this is affecting our family, and I'm sure it's affecting all families. It's such a big big thing going on right now and actually our family moved to our summer cabin because we wanted to slow down a little bit but I still feel like even though we're off the grid we are a little bit slower down we're in a smaller community we're still at that we're still pacing pretty high is there anything that you can share with us to help our parents kind of get started or thinking about this and yeah how can we find out in a summer cabin Right. Right. <laughs> because no matter where we move to, it will move with us. I was in a couple of years ago, I was in uh, Mongolia. Like we might think, I'm going to move to Mongolia. Honestly, Michelle, don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's such a good point. Yeah. It's the same, it's the same right? Mm-hmm. All around the world. Um, the, 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 the thing that we've, uh, uh, myself and the team here at the Simplicity Parenting Institute and all our coaches around the world, would probably say to that question, if I could voice what they would say, is is when you start to simplify, it's very important that it feel doable, that it that it feel natural, doable, and as such, will be in place in three to four to five years. It isn't a parenting fad, you know. It, it's so it. One of the first places to go to is to almost like go to one's instinct and say, look, what do we think this has all gotten a a bit much for our kids? Is it like the metaphor um, that I often that I often use is that our children have a little like call it a vessel, like they're little selves, they're beautiful little selves. I'll call it a vessel if I may. And there's a there's a tap a faucet that's turned on and it's and that's life that's coming into this vessel 
and the water is pouring in and that's going to school or play dates or sporting clubs or whatever it is. All those things are coming in, homework. Um, and the, with a lot of kids, there's there's so much coming into their vessel that, and it's all good stuff. I'm not, you know, like, yeah, it's good stuff, but it's too much good stuff. And it's and now it's spilling over the outside of their vessel. It's spilling, and it and there's a spillage. Amazing, yeah. It's one of those things that you see that it's just it. You, I can, I can visualize so clearly exactly what you're talking about, and it's like we're adding the play dates and the after school things, and then. And I heard you say in a podcast this morning that I was listening to about a parent who is then giving their child all these options of what, like what to have for dinner, where to go after school. And it was giving so many options. I'm sure that just adds to the overflowing of the vessel then. And, and, you know, with that overflow, that is um, what that overflow is in reality and not just the metaphor of it is that spillage is, is behavior. That spillage is anxiety. It's fear. It's 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 um, denial. It, it's it, it's pushback against us, and it's almost like we've got a decision to make. Do, do we spend our lives mopping up difficult behaviour, or do we turn down the tap? And I vote for turning down the tap. Sounds good to because, me. <laughs> because mopping up. <laughs> Mopping up behavioural spillage is exhausting mm-hmm. and what so many parents tell us and our coaches is that when they've turned down the tap, they have so much more energy themselves. Firstly, you don't have to get your kids to all these different places, mm-hmm. but secondly, when they have their behavioural issues come up, it doesn't take so much energy to sort it out. It's, it's just a little more malleable a little easier to work out because we're not spending so much energy mopping up bad behaviour. We as parents have got more energy. It's not just the kids who benefit from this. Seriously, seriously, it's us. I'm assuming that parents could also benefit from this uh, slowing, I want to say slowing down, but it's more simplicity uh, way of being ourselves too to open up more space for for us to then have be better parents and be more calm and have more energy and like you said not coming from that empty cup of exhaustion when the behavior is overflowing so much <laughs> and just a lot of parents have commented over the years I've been doing this for about 30 years now how much closer they got to their family values like when you're holding that little little child in your arms and, and they're just a couple of hours old or in that first week. And you're looking at it thinking, my, 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 you know, may, may I be worthy of you, <laughs> right? And it's, it really does, you know, in those moments, all our hopes, all our dreams for our, our family and the closeness that we have and the support for each other, they can't come flooding in, don't they? Did they do that for you? It's like they come flooding in. Absolutely. And 
what a lot of parents have a, a real pattern of feedback over the many years now is how when we simplify, we also start pulling back, frankly, the toxicity of the speed of modern life mm. and, and the values emerge. They haven't gone anywhere. They're just there waiting for us to clear the debris away. Now, you, you ask a good question, Michelle, like how practically mm -hmm. on the ground, <clears throat> how, how is this done? And um, one of the first things that, that Simplicity Parenting has become ex like, like known for is this whole emphasis on, um, on decluttering. Mm. on dialing back the number of toys, the number of books, the number of clothes, just simplifying and uh, the environment so the environment feels more spacious, really questioning the number of toys and establishing a little toy library mm -hmm. where you have 20 toys out in a basket or just around if your children are, are kind of at that toy age um, and you get rid of the other hundred that are just inappropriate, broken, kids don't play with them, annoying, unrelenting parent, parental in-laws just can't stop giving them, whatever it is. And then you keep maybe another 20 or 30. The average North American family uh, has about 150 to 200 toys per wow. child. And, the, and that means the 3,000-piece Lego set counts as one. <laughs> one, wow. That's but, crazy. But, yeah, we've been counting over the years, and that's about the average number. Now, um, about 20 or 30 go in a box and get put away, and about 20 or 30 books go in a box and get put away, and about 10 books, 10, 15 toys are, are still there to play, be played with, and they cycle in and out. They, they just cycle in, cycle out. A child does, is not playing with one very much, so they put it aside and a new one comes out. The, the, um, the next thing a lot of parents have um, commented on is, the, is, is being more intentional about rhythm and predictability. So having meal times roughly within certain, within certain sort of times uh, to some people even go a little further and say, Monday is rice day, Tuesday is pasta day, Thursday is yucky soup day, like whatever. <laughs> Thursday was yucky soup day. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and so on. So that we, we the children would, this never had a chance to be fussy eaters because this is just what we mm. had on those days. And we would, you know, of, of course, when one can switch up the toppings or whatever, but the basis of what we're having is right there. But relatively at the same time, little rituals, like we might say a little verse of thank you to the farmers. Mm. We might light a candle. Why not? Why, why only have that at fancy times? Why not light a candle, say thank you to the farmers, bless the meal, begin, and then at the end of the meal, no one gets down until they say, may I get down? Right, just there's a beginning, mm -hmm. there's an end. Imagine that in modern times. Yeah. Something, end, yeah. something ends. All all the devices get put away. All the notifications get turned off. 
And for that time, here we are. Meal times become more rhythmical and predictable. Bedtimes become more rhythmical and predictable. Wake up times and the way in which our children wake up more predictable. When you have predictability with children, mm-hmm. their nervous systems calm. The limbic system in their the amygdala calms down. The limbic system in their brain starts, and the frontal lobes start to become activated because they know what's coming next. And when they know what's coming next, and then it happens, then there's a little message. There's a little relaxation that happens and a little message of, I know this world, I'm welcome here, and I'm safe and secure here. And so this this rhythm, predictability, and all the little breadcrumbs of rituals, all the little, like a, a younger child, imagine a seven or eight-year-old that come into the bathroom. That's my hook. I put my pajamas there because there's a picture of a snail there because my mummy always says I'm like a snail. <laughs> and then I get into the bath, but this is my face cloth, and this is my one toy that I'm only allowed one because my mum read that stupid simplicity parenting book. <laughs> and um, and then I get out of the bath, and there's my towel, and then there's my, there's my toothbrush, and my cup. All those things are like breadcrumbs mm. all the way to bed. They're the little rituals. So the rituals are the how, and the rhythm is the when. Mm. All these little things that we do, and so many of us do them. We we, we just do quite naturally. What Simplicity Parenting suggests is just being very intentional about it. That's fascinating. I love, I just love the image of the towel and the spot. And it's interesting. It's something we've been struggling with in our house. It's like, we don't have anywhere for the kids, backpacks to go when they come in the house. And the amount of stress it's causing them, I can see, is in, is really interesting. So it's something that's on my mind to, to find a spot that's perfect for their backpacks when they come in and seems so simple, yet I can tell it's causing them stress. Yeah, here's your hook for your backpack. Here's your coat hanger for your coat. Yours is the purple one. Here's where your boots go because that's that's your tray. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's mud, muddy season or whatever, whatever it is. This is where, and here's your cubby where your gloves go there and then your hat goes above it. And it's just, I know kids are going to dump stuff around, but it's really surprising when you create the container for rhythm and predictability, even if they do dump their gloves on the ground, it's then so much easier to say, oh, sweetheart, don't forget, or their coat, don't forget it's the purple hanger. Could you go and put it on the purple hanger, please? It's like, mom, but it isn't like, I don't know where to put this. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I can see that in my kids when they don't know where something goes. Like, interesting. Yep. So that's the second thing. that There's only four things, really, uh, that we've noticed over the years. Another pathway to simplicity is not so much decluttering, although it's Mm -hmm. helpful, rhythm and predictability and little breadcrumbs of rituals, yeah. The third thing is dialing back schedules. You know, it's almost like parenting has become a contact sport or like a parental arms race, you know, where we've got to get more, 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 more. And it's almost a philosophical thing. Like, do we see parenting 
as an in uh, like children's lives as an enrichment opportunity where we've got to get 18 years of stuff into the first eight or nine years or do we see it as a gently unfolding experience it's there's a there's a decision and one of the things about dialing back scheduling is allowing kids more decompression time just time to like a safety release valve just decompress and if they get bored then great you know like what's the like boredom is the precursor to creativity <laughs> let our kids be bored like if if they come and say dad there's nothing to do my response over the years was oh dear that that's it <laughs> or I might add, oh, something when they were little, something good is just around the corner. You go <laughs> <That's> look. <great. laughs> you go and look for it. And at bedtime, I remember one night, my younger daughter said to me, "Daddy, how do you always know that something good is around the corner?" <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I, I, I think we know it as parents mm -hmm. because when kids are bored and we and we can resist putting iPads in their hand or we can re resist organizing a bunch of play dates or we can just let them be, then their creativity will start to come out. That's, and it's a lot better babysitter than an iPad. It lasts okay. <laughs> much, much longer. And it myelinates the brain in the most beautiful way, whereas running around all over town Stressing kids out with too much, too just just way too. It's all again. It's all good stuff. The karate lesson, the ballet lesson, the music lesson, the psychotherapy to cope with it all. It's all good stuff, but it's too much good mm -hmm. stuff. It's almost if it was if if it was the equivalent of a meal, it would be causing us like serious overeating and indigestion. Mm -hmm. When we moved to where we live now, one of the things I was most looking forward to is not having to get up at five o'clock in the morning to register our kids for this activity or that activity, because there was only one choice of things to do or two choices of things to do. And that was it. And that for me as a parent gave a lot of relief uh, in my stress, not having to think that we were going to have to do all these activities like everyone else does. Right. Right. Exactly. So, and it's not like it's not like the kids can't be involved in sports and so mm -hmm. on. But it's it's a little bit like maybe okay. So you got an older kid, eleven, twelve years old. Okay, well, let's do basketball this season, and we'll do hockey in in you know in the fall, but not hockey, basketball, and gymnastics. Just one sport per mm -hmm. season, spring and fall. And the summer, nothing. We just calm it on down. Um, and just being judicious and thoughtful about the amount of stuff our kids are, are, are having to, to do. Mm -hmm. Then the last and the fourth um, pathway of simplicity. And by the way, Michelle, we didn't make any of these up. This just all came very organically through parents' themselves and just watching 
what worked and what Mm -hmm. didn't, what had an impact and what didn't. The fourth pathway is that of filtering out adult information. Our kids are getting way, way, way too much adult information and they're getting it unfiltered in two ways. The first way they're getting it is right from our mouths, right from us as adults talking about stuff that is scary, talking about stuff that kids can't do anything about. My basic rule of thumb is, is, is four, just four simple rules. Before I say anything in front of a child, um, is, is, it, is, it, um, going to, uh, uh, is it going to have them feel more secure? Uh, you know, like, are they, is, is what I'm saying going to help them feel safe? Um, also, uh, is it true to my family values? So is it kind? Is what I'm saying kind? And, and really the big one is, it, is this strictly necessary that I say this? And unless it's yes to all four, cure, uh, 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 secure, kind, necessary, true, defer it. Say it later when the kids aren't around. Mm. Just defer it. Um, the second thing is the amount of information unfiltered that our kids are getting via screens. We've noticed over the years, and it's a very, very clear pattern, is that as screen use decreases, the child's gifts and the child's centeredness, calmness, gifts, creativity increases. Mm. Now, I know I'm not saying anything that most of us don't know, but it's just that screens have become so ubiquitous Mm-hmm. that it takes a lot. And one of the things that I've been recommending to all, all my, uh, I, I still have a, a, a private family counselling practice, so I, I meet with 30 more parents every single week. And one of the things that I'm recommending to many, many, many of my parents these days is to, is to look up Victoria Dunkley's work, D-U-N-C-K-L-E-Y. She's a medical doctor who wrote, a 30-day reset your child's brain. Oh, cool. And it's 30 days. Mm-hmm. It's very, very solid. Mm-hmm. It's an easy walk-on, helps you prepare, 30 days screen-free. And of the parents uh, over the last couple of years, since all these you know, difficulties have been coming up, and of the parents who have managed to limit and then go screen-free, mm-hmm. The, the feedback has been crystal clear how the children's behaviour has improved, mm-hmm. their creativity has improved, the relationship between siblings has improved, and uh, their academic work has improved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that Victoria talks about that I certainly can also testify to is how much easier it is to do than we thought. Mm-hmm. And probably, I'm, I'm just guessing now, but only one, one out of 10 parents ever goes back to the way it was before that 30 days. Wow, that's impressive. So seriously question mm-hmm. the toxicity of what is coming at our kids because I know screens have creative stuff, but it's someone else's creativity. Like right. why didn't Steve Jobs 
have screens for his kids. Mm-hmm. And the reason uh, someone who was a friend of his told me directly was that he wanted his kids to be original, quote unquote, original and be creative mm-hmm. and not replicate someone else's creativity. Well, I want that for, don't you want that for your child? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Jobs just made gazillions of dollars packaging it up in this beautiful minimalistic packaging, selling it to us poor schmucks. He didn't have it for his own kids. In <laughs> fact, many, many, many Silicon Valley execs do not have screens wow. for their kids. So questioning screen exposure, mm-hmm. questioning, really questioning, is this doing, is this in alignment with our family values? Because often what's coming down the pike on a screen mm-hmm. is wildly out of whack with what we stand for as a family. Right. The way those characters are talking in that cartoon is, is just not the way we want to talk to each other in our family, but they will absorb it. Kids yeah. will absorb that stuff. Even the kids' YouTube channels with the 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 kid actual kids talking with their their dolls and playing bar, like watching other kids play with toys is boggles my mind. <laughs> Why are we watching this when we can be playing right here with our own? <laughs> right, and so exactly. So those four pathways of decluttering, mm-hmm. of rhythm and predictability, of dialing back schedules and then filtering out adult information. What's interesting, Michelle, is that um, some parents can plug right in. Actually, I remember a parent right near you, Roberts Creek, Mm -hmm. on the Sunshine Coast in in BC. I remember one parent saying, um, we didn't want to do all that decluttering, descheduling. We just jumped right in the deep end with screens. Mm -hmm. We just decided to... um, to, to, to just de-screen our home. Mm-hmm. You know, and the only screens available were uh, uh, was for a laptop for my husband's work. Um, and the, the children, she had a 12-year-old uh, needed for school mm-hmm. and it was only available, strictly speaking, and in, in, in it was in family space, not in bedrooms. Screens for kids in bedrooms is a disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing more disastrous is is smartphones, um, but uh, and that was it. They just de-screened, no TV, like just cut it all out. And um, I remember her commenting that the changes in their family almost immediately. And I said, "Oh, within the first sort of six eight months." And she said, "The first six to eight days." Wow. <laughs> yeah, and I've heard that now re- repeatedly. Mm-hmm. But they jumped in the deep end. I, honestly, I think taking on the screen one is taking on often a child that's become addicted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it might be that just building up rhythm, building up meal times, bedtimes, just becoming more intentional mm-hmm. about that is a good place to start. Or it might be, no, no, not that. I want to start with decluttering. Mm-hmm. You know, or where, wherever it is. It might be, you know what, I'm going to dial back on scheduling totally. They should not be doing two travel teams per season. It's crazy making. I'm going to dial that back. It's it's really whatever feels 
at an instinctual level, yeah, we could do this. I've got an, I believe in this enough that my kids will know I'm solid, Mm -hmm. that I'm not doing something out of some book. This is solid. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Wow. That makes me want to just rip the bandaid off and go no screens in our house. (laughs) Very much so. And uh, that makes me a little bit fearful of the, 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 the uh, what's going to, what the repercussions of, of, of even going there in our house. But I, I think the outcome is like way outweighs what's going to happen, the fight that's going to be put up against it. <laughs> and the fight, you know, and what you just said then, then actually, Michelle, of, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really fearful of the repercussions. You're in really good company. I haven't heard a parent not say <laughs> right. ever, and then come back and say, because I really believed in it, mm-hmm. that was way easier than I thought it was going to be. It only becomes difficult if you're wishy-washy about it. Mm-hmm. And the kids will, will argue like they're willing to die on that hill. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. I love it. Oh my gosh. I keep you here all day. I love all this. This has been one of the most incredible interviews. Thank you so much for spending your valuable time with us today and sharing your insights and what you've discovered. And I think, oh my gosh, there's just so much to what you're saying that I can just see how much of the change can happen in just starting in my own household with some of the things you said and looking forward to reporting back to you what that was what that was all like so blissful parents out there I challenge you also to start taking a look at how you can simplify your parenting in your own home as well and Kim thank you very much for joining us today where can we where do you want to send our blissful parents to connect with you further find out more information you have an amazing podcast which is called the simplicity parenting podcast and where else I know what your question means, Michelle, but if I can say where parents can really connect is actually here in their own hearts, in our own hearts, you know, like with our own instinct, Mm -hmm. with our care for our children, really that's the place, right? But I know what your question. (laughs) I love that answer though. That's a good answer. Um, Just at, at, at Simplicity Parenting at the website, there's a free starter kit and there's just, there's really great stuff not too much that again would be ironic <laughs> but there's really great stuff in that starter kit and it's free of course and um that is the place if you're really if anyone's interested in this take to take another step that little starter kit really walks you through that great love it and so also parents make sure you go check that out And Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure having you. And I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. And we can report back all the wonderful things. Come on, blissful parents, let's challenge each other. Lovely. Thanks, Michelle. Lovely to chat with you. You're welcome. Have a great day. Thank you, blissful parents out there for spending this time with us. We'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Blissful Parent Podcast. For complete transcriptions of this show, as well as helpful links to resources mentioned in this episode, please visit our website at theblissfulparent.com.